and welcome back. I am your host, the Susan Anime O'Hagan. Yes, I know that's my stage name. I could have done something cuter, like Josephina, but we'll see. <laughs> but anyway, we're gonna continue with the Titanic, cause it's book landing. Hundreds and fifty crew were rescued by Olympic. While the three failed attempts were made to tour Otis to safety before the finish. My headphones are not on right. I hope this sounds okay. I just got a new setup and I'm doing new things. I'm trying. I got a sound barrier, microphone, I got headphones, I got a book. Mm-hmm. The commoner of the home fleet, Armel John Jellicoe, ordered Olympic to be held in custody in Long Swilly, as he did not want the British nation to know that one of their warships was lost in case it damaged moral. Although the moral of the Olympic passengers must have been challenged, when they found them, cells prevented from sending or receiving any messages or form disbarking the ship until six days later on November 2nd when the ship finally sailed on to Belfast. In May 1915, Olympic was requested by the Arminal as a troop transport while their sister Britannic, who was still under construction, was requested as a hospital ship. Olympic, Olympic armed with 12 pounds and 4.7 inch guns, could... <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I have allergies to a lot of things. And, well, and up to 6,000 soldiers would probably turn outturn any U-boat. In 1916, she was charted by the Canadian government and became a great favor with the Canadians as she ferried thousands of them on their way to battle and then brought them safely home again. They even named a dance hall after her, the Olympic Gardens in Halifax, Nova Scotia. The following year, the Americans entered the war and Olympic found herself ferrying U.S. troops to Britain. On the morning of May 12, 1918, her crew post-stopped uh, a surface U-boat 500 meters straight ahead and with guns blazing, Olympic rammed it. The power world that had previously caused her so much trouble was now her saving grace as it laced through the hull of the submarine which was abandoned by its German crew ignoring the survivors in the water. Olympic continued to Sherberg. This seems a call out act today but it would have been too risky to lay in case there was a second submarine in the area. Later the achievement was in a polycule that was paid for by the, her American passengers. 
She left an impressive war record, faring over two 0-0-0 soldiers while clutching up to 184,000 miles, earning herself the nickname Old Reliable. After the war, she, like thousands and thousands of soldiers, removed her uniform and returned to civilian life and became, because of her likeness to Titanic, she became very popular with the big stars of the 1920s cinema, including Charlie Chaplin and Cary Grant. In fact, Chaplin refused, refers to the ship a couple of times in his 1964 autobiography. He knew he had made it big when he could afford to travel first class on Olympic. For his previous trip stateside, he had to settle for one of her second class cabins, but enjoyed a brief tour by a seaboard who showed him the first class luxury suit. After sailing on Olympic, Max Perkins was a change man, editor for the likes of F. Scott Fitzgerald and Esner Hingerways. Okay, so I'm gonna get a lot of hate. Who are these people? The only one I really know is, heard of, is F. Fitzgerald and Charlie Chaplin, but I don't know their work off the top of my head. Wait, Charlie Chaplin. Oh, uh, he was a comedian who did, uh, uh, oh, 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 people have referenced him. Okay. I don't know the rest of them, though, that well. I've heard of F. Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald, but I'm not really sure who that is. Okay, see, I'm drawing a blank. Perkins was not a natural travel. Intentionally unhappy on board, he complained about lengthy meals and felt in prison. Albert in luxury. At some point, however, he fell in love with his surroundings and joked about running away to sea. There were still more crashes to come. On May on March 2020, on March 2020, 1924, while revisiting, reversing out of New York's harbor. Why is March just the weirdest month? Why does this happen a lot? I was born in March and to me this is just weird. I just see March popping up in a lot of not a good things. <clears throat> Okay, Olympic strain cold train with a smaller liner, the Fort S. Georgia leaving the small ships in need of extensive repairs. A more serious collision occurred 10 years later when approaching New York in a heavy fog. Ooh, fog and boats and planes. Fog's just not great for anything, is it? Olympic. Tour through the... Nanatech Lightship LV-117, cutting her into two and sinking her. Okay. And sinking her. Seven men died. Arbling a full investigation into the incident. Olympic left New York for Britain for the Last time on April 5th, 1935, following a career involving 257 
round trips, 480,000 passengers and approximately four collisions. How many times do boats get in collisions per year? Or just all together? I'm kind of really confused by this book. Okay, the Titanic story of RMS Titanic and her ill-fated main voyage continue over a century after her journey to the bottom of the sea. Only 705 passengers out of approximately 2,220 on board made it safely onto lifeboats. Failed with period photographs. I have no idea. This is just the weirdest thing to me. It was time to retire. A few months later, she was sold to Sir John Jarvis for... Okay. I'm not exactly sure. It has like a weird L. 97500 and was finally demolished in 1937. Such a pity she was not kept in one piece as an homage to her twin sister and her own success. Yeah, I don't know about that. Titanic wasn't really the nicest thing to happen to people. Yes, the movie makes it romantic. It is not romantic, the real story. It is kind of disturbing, actually. HMHS uh, Britannic. His Majesty Hospital Ship. Britannic Mule was... Lead on November 30th, 1911. Initially called Titanic, she was re charnished following the Titanic tragedy with several new modifications, including an increase in the number of lifeboats. Well, good. You learned from your mistake and tried to fix it. She would care. 48 lifeboats were on board, 46 of which were the biggest lifeboats ever placed on a ship. She was 852 feet long and weighed 50,000 tons, making her long and heavier than Olympic and was launched on February 26, 1914. Winter storm lines, financial problems delayed her completion and she eventually made her maiden voyage to Martyrus, Greece on December 23, 1915. Wow. Ah, it hurts knowing you were born in the 1990s. Because this is 1915 and that's like, oh, that's decades ago now. That's so creepy. The first World War II had broken out. Oh, I'm creeped out now. <laughs> okay, I gotta fix my headphones again. Sorry. They are not on very well for some reason. I don't know. I have to like readjust them every other time. It's a weird thing. Okay. The first World War, the first World War had broken out and she had been re-questioned by the British government as a hospital ship. Ooh, goodness. On November 12th, 1916, Britannic left Southampton for her sixth voyage, heading to, I'm just going to say Greece. She was carrying 1,065 people, 
673 crews, 77 nurses, and 315 RAMC, Royal Army Medical Crops. By November 21st, she was sailing at full speed, 12 knots, between the island of Morocco and Kia. It was after 8 o'clock in the morning, and those on board, including C. Wester, Violet, Joseph, who had sailed on both Olympic and Titanic. Oh, this poor woman. Oh, I don't know if I talked about her on here or on my... Oh, poor woman. She was in, like, three to four shipwrecks. And she still had the guts to go back on. After the first one, I don't know if I would have had the guts. I also have PTSD, so I'm, I'm, like, looking at the wrong thing. I'm talking into the old space. My new setup is confusing me now. Okay. Okay, so... This poor woman, she was called Miss Unsinkable. Violet Joseph, who had sailed on both Olympic and Titanic War, enjoying their breakfast. According to Violet, a sudden explosion caused the ship to shiver. Many thoughts they had hit a small boat. Ten minutes later, due to damage, water right doors, Britannic was already listed listening to the side and was in a much trouble as her sister had been within an hour after hitting the iceberg. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Lots of portholes windows were open because the nurses were airing the wards and this resulted in a speedy intake of water. Ew. Kia Island was three miles away and Britannic Captain Charles Bertlett decided to try beaching her and gave her the order to turn her towards Kia shoreline. Meanwhile, someone started releasing lifeboats, not realizing that the ship propellers were out of the water and in Valuable bloodbath ensured. Yikes. Fortunately for a third lifeboat, the engine and thus propellers were switched off in the nick of time. At 8.35 a.m., Captain Bert Letter, Bert Letter or said Bert Lert? I'm not really sure how to pronounce her name, ordered everyone to abandon ship. Fifteen minutes later, he felt that the flooding had slowed and had the engine switched back on to make a second attempt to reach Kia. By 9 a.m., however, he accepted that the ship was doomed and sounded out her whistle to indicate all hands off the ship before walking into the sea to swim to the nearest lifeboat. How did this woman survive this many shipwrecks and still get back on? Girl, you have the most courage I've ever met. Dang. Okay, sorry I didn't get to you all last yesterday. I was taking a break.
My concussion is horrible. And I'm exhausted like all the time right now. And today's been interesting, and if you want to hear all about that, you can check out my Patreon, probably, or my YouTube. Also, check out my Patreon, because that is where True Crime Tuesday is now going. Because uh, YouTube does not like True Crime Tuesday anymore. We are going to continue with the Titanic, the true stories of her passengers, crew, and legacy. Okay. Nobody could have guessed that Titanic was leaving blissful behind forever. Nose for port had brought him to the water's edge. As an American, he was not allowed to own British ships, but there was nothing to prevent his holding company from owning the company that owned the British ships in the typical fashion. Morgan wished to buy out and thus dominate relatively new world of transatlantic liner along with white star lines. He had briefly attempted to buy the current lean but was thought by the British government who feared an American monopoly of the North Atlantic trade. Today, 24 Bell Groove Square, the rocky Roman style mansion formerly known as Donshire House and home to the Spanish Embassy. However, it is far from famous for that 1907 dinner party. White Star Line needed new ship and these new ships needed to exchange the Colonel Lane in size, speed, and luxury, during which the two estimated chairmen Lord Pripper and Bruce Ismay dreamt up Titanic and her sister. The future of sea travel was in their hand, and what they would convince was utterly a fine testament to the mutual beneficial relationship between a British line and a Belfast ship building company. Three years later, an article in the Belfast New Letter described the relationship as one of the most interesting chapters in the history of our shipbuilding industry. It was surely invaluable that Ismic with IMM founding empire would like to breathe an answer was obvious as it was simple. White Star Line needed new ships and these new ships needed to exceed Cunyard lines in size, speed, and luxury. The two men went to work that very evening, making sketches and bestowing names that announced a new type of ship on the horizon. Atlantic, oh, Olympic, Titanic, and Gitanic, Giant. Of course, the consider of that conversation would have huge financial requirements that is those three ships could only happen thanks to white star line access to the sensible resource of the IMM Left no image of Titanic grand staircases known to exist. Picture here the grand staircase 
and Olympic was the same design, a replica of the one in the Titanic, can be seen at the Titanic Belfast. J.P. Morgan had made his desire clear, telling Ismer to build me the finest vessel afloat, and this is exactly what he got, not three years later, with Olympic launched on February 20th, 1910, followed closely by Sister Titanic on May 31st, 1911, Gitanic, Olympic, Titanic, would be finally launched at Britain on February 26, 1942, a very different world. NOI, Titanic was initially in her elder sister's shadow, not receiving half the fanfare that would have been afforded to the first of the White Star Line Wonderships, but that would change. Main in the image of Olympic, Titanic was just that bit heavier at 46,328 tons to Olympic's 45,324 because the forward half of Titanic A deck prom was enclosed by a steel screen with sliding windows while Olympic permanent deck was completely open to the elements due to her deck. Olympic wealthier passengers had no need for the first class permendants on B deck and consequential the B deck first class permendants did not appear on Titanic. Instead, Thomas Anderson used the space to build extra and enlarge first-class suits. Furthermore, he had made a testful extension to a La Center restaurant in front of the cafe prison, resembling a Persian street cafe. This had never been seen on a British ship before. Passengers could order a meal from the restaurant, and if they so wished, take it in the cafe, sitting in front of his large windows to enjoy the waterscape as they eat. Weather permitting, the windows could be rolled down, allowing passengers to feel like they were eating outside a cafe. Another first for a seafaring passengers, Thomas Anderson was breaking new ground with Titanic, and one can only wonder what he might have done with Britannic. Thanks to Cafe's popularity, particularly with the younger passengers, Olympic would later receive her own Cafe Persian, Persian, Persian. Another Titanic specification was a recreation area for the restaurant that was added in B-Deck behind the grand staircase, while the main recitation room on D-Deck was also enlarged. The two deluxe parlor suits on B-Deck were given their own tournaments, and there were more first-class gangway entrants on B-Deck, too. A ship full of strangers, passengers would certainly pay its way. But the real money was to be made from the likes of Austrian Gungaham and the Piers. Titanic infestation chef designer ensured his ship was the biggest and most luxurious 
ever to put to sea, and the rich flock to board her in April 1912. How exciting it must have been on leaving Queenstown behind to know that there would be no more stops at all passengers and bags of mail were safely on board, and that at long last there were on their way to New York, and many, what happened next is still somewhat unbelievable. Ooh, Titanic timeline. 1908, December 6th, Olympic kneeled is laid and contribute begins. Contribution begins? 1909, March 31st, Titanic Neal is laid and construction begins. 1910, April 16th, Titanic frame is complete. April 20th, catch boy Samuel Joseph Scott in federal fall from side of ship. October 19th, Titanic planting is completed. 1911, May 31st, Titanic is launched just after midday in front of a thousand, one thousand people. June 14th, Olympic commends her media voyage. September 20th, Olympic cholera with HMS. Hawk delay Titanic complication. November 30th, Bruce McNeil is laid and construct begins. 1912, January, lifeboats are fitted on Titanic. February 3rd, Titanic captured on newsreel entering the dry dock. March 31st, construction of Titanic is completed. April 12th, follows success sea trial. Francis signs the certificate of sea worthiness valid for one year. And Titanic leaves Belsai forever. April 3rd, Titanic dock in Southampton. April 10th, Titanic leaves Southampton and sails to Cherburger. April 11th, Titanic docks at Roch Point off the coast of Queenstown to pick up her final passengers and post bags. Two hours later, she leaves for New York. April 14th at 11.40 p.m., four days into her first and only voyage, the Titanic strikes an iceberg about 375 miles south of New Finland. April 15th at 2.17 a.m., the last message is transmitted from the Titanic before our final plunge at 2.20 a.m. A little over 700 passengers out of the approximately 2,222 on board make it safely into lifeboats. Just after 4 a.m., RMS captain arrives to rescue the survivors. 1985, September 1st, Titanic is signed after a disappearance of 73 years when Robert Bali discovered her wreck torn in two on the Atlantic floor. Titanic disaster, great loss of life, evening news, little boy holding paper. About the world was shocked as news spread of Titanic's fate. A opposite top Titanic main dining room on the sail saloon deck, opposed bottom pictured in Olympic first class smoking room identical to Titanic and designed as a gentleman's club with 
Megraham paneling and stained glass windows. Oh, they do look kind of similar. Captain Edward John Smith with his Titanic officers, only four of whom would survive Titanic's maiden voyage. Wow. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them. Titanic. In his photographs, Edward John Smith looked exactly like a seafaring captain of old with his solid figure, white hair, and weathered face. Completed by a trim beard, he is forever ingrained in our minds as the captain of the Titanic. Since, to the author's knowledge, no photographers existed in the public domain, showing him in civilian clothes. Henley is the English Derfenshire town of Stoke-on-Trent, was the landlocked town of his birth and childhood, and is many miles from the sea. He was named after his father, Edward who was a potter before going to retail and buying a shop with his wife, Catherine. According to an old trade journal from 1893, the Prospects Henley was the capital of the pottery. Captain Smith embarked his destiny at an early age. Leaving school at 13, he made his way to Liverpool and got himself an apprenticeship with the Gibson Shipping Line before joining White Star in 1880. Seven years later, at the age of 37, he earned his first command and on his way to the Captain Titanic in 1912, took the of many ships, including the Majestic, the Baltic, the Arctic, and Olympic. In 1887, he married Sarah Eleanor Pendergenton. Wow, that's a name, Pendergenton. And they have just one child, Helen Melview Smith, born in 1898. Smith served with the British Royal Navy during the war and his claim relatively earned <laughs> earned him a medal for bravery from the hands of King Edward VII himself. Presumably it was his short of behavior that attracted his fans, those wealthy passengers who preferred to sail on his ship over the other Winter Star captains leading to his nickname, Millionaire Captain. However, else leading to his nickname, Millionaire Captain, however, else they may have felt about the number of funerals or indeed lifeboats, most of the first class passengers would have been reassured by the very fact that they were on Captain Smith's ship. He was as popular with the men who worked with him, his crew, who called him EJ, along, although only when he was out of earshot. As White Star Line, most popular officer, and also the highest paid with an annual salary of L1250, 
it was no surprise that he would be asked to take the brand new biggest ship in the world out on her maiden voyage. Walter Lord, really, his name is Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm a kid because that is just funny. My name is Lord. Walter Lord. I find that a little funny. Just a little. In his book, A Night to Remember, writes that the 62-year-old captain had been about to return, but boarded Titanic to fulfill a final request from Starline. Some dispute the fact today, however, it certainly adds Phantom to his story in every way possible. This was to be Captain Smith's final journey after his death, and old Helen's school friend, Willow Jones, gave an act account of the boy, Ted Smith, who would go on to become one of the world's most famous captains. William Jones declared that Smith had died exactly as he would have wished. Standing on the bridge of his ship, thus ensuring that he went down with her, because that was typically of the boy he described as brave kind and generous. Perhaps it is only right and natural that the exact fate of the Titanic captain remains a mystery. Thanks to several conflicting stories from survivors who claim the last sighting of him, an American passenger, George Burton, B-R-E-R-E-T-O-N, sometimes listed as G-A Barton, that one's easier. George Barton was in the water and saw Captain Smith standing alone on Titanic. He watched a wave knock the captain off his feet, but Smith stood up once more as the ship sank, only to be knocked over by a second wave. Barton did not see him again. And Trey Cock, Isaac Maynard, was standing on the back of the overturned Philosophy spotted the captain in the water and with his fellow passengers tried to pull him aboard, but the captain slipped off again. As far as fireman Harry Sr. was convinced, the captain did not slip, but purposely let go to follow his ship. Meanwhile, an interview appeared in the Daily Sketch newspaper on April 30th, 1912 with Mr. George Standing a friend of Charles Williams, the squasher played who survived the sinking, Mr. Standing repeated what Charles told him, which was that he saw Captain Smith in the water with a baby, a lifeboat went to his rescue, and the captain handed over the child, but refused to get into the boat. Instead, he asked the whereabouts of First Officer Murdoch, and on hearing that Murdoch was dead, Captain Smith removed his life jacket and disappeared under the water, never to be seen again. Other various versions have him shouting at those in the lifeboat, Be brave. Be British. Okay, I like the be brave, but the be British is not really. I am British, so I guess I can't really say much. Eh, I'm a mixed breed. Before disappearing, there was outrage when a completely different story appeared in some newspapers. Who knows who started the rumor, but presumably 
someone told someone else that Captain Smith committed suicide, shooting himself in the head even before the lifeboat's release. The London Daily Telegraph in the April 20th edition surmised that the rumor began after several survivors attested to hearing several shots on the Titanic deck. See, I remember people saying that they thought that someone was shooting people because there wasn't enough lifeboats and they didn't want them to, like, have to go through the pain of dying in the water. And then I heard the account that this guy shot himself. I don't know if... We'll continue in a minute. Artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon and with the ad coming up soon i know y'all might want to skip but you should at least try to listen to some of it maybe it's important i hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast and i hope the ad and sponsor is a good one artichokey okay dokey artichokey ad break it's now Okay. Captain Smith had made a mistake in not reducing Titanic speed or posting extra lookouts. Yeah, but I also blame the other ship who did not come when you asked them to come. There's a couple things about the Titanic that I want to talk about. So. There are some theories, and I've read some things, like, people believe that the musicians went down with the ship and they played the whole time. Some people say they didn't, others say they did, some say they have no clue. And that is something that can happen, where you don't know if you're Things can happen when you're, like, in a crisis that people just kind of don't pay attention to every single little detail out there. And let me tell you, that is a true statement. And then there was Miss Unsinkable, and we will talk about her another day because that is a long story. But, girl, you are in three sinking ships and you still went back? Then you more courage the most because I would be like, nope, this is cursed, I'm done. I'm gonna find a different job. Bye. Like, no, that, that, that ain't happening. Like, no, thank you. But, Dan, you survived three shipwrecks. Girl, that's amazing. Also, there was tr- no truth into um, people. There was, um, people said the rich were favored over the poor during the thing. And according to actual people who were there, that was not true. The truth was, was people just 
we're trying to get women and children in the boat first. We're trying to get everyone out, and it was just a disaster zone. Okay, let's continue reading the book. There's so much about the Titanic, and I mean so much. I always found the interesting, I forget if it was a documentary, where they went and saw the actual Titanic itself in a shipwreck, and it was so sad, but kind of interesting. But it was understandable since he was traveling a well-worn route used by many passenger ships on the other previous 25 years. Well, all would have maintained speed, trusting to a sharp lookout to spot danger in time. Captain Smith was merely following suit and therefore could not be accused of neglectness. After the sinking, Eleanor, his widow, wrote a note which was put up outside the White Star office in Southampton. To my poor fellow, Surfer, my heart overflows with grief for you. All this landed wish sorrow that you are weighted down with the terrible burden that has been thrust upon us. My God be with us and comfort us all. Yours in sympathy, Elmer Smith. That is so sad. Also, um, there was like a sentence that someone said there was another ship that they contacted that was only a few minutes away and they never showed up. I actually don't know if that's a true statement or one of those conspiracy theories, but dang, you couldn't show up? Like, if that is a true statement, dang, you could have showed up, you know? Like, are you kidding me right now? And there was no Jack and Rose. Supposedly there was like one person had a similar name, but the story wasn't based on them. But we'll talk about the movie another time. His death was not the only tragedy to befall the family. Eleanor died after being knocked down by a London taxi in 1931. Really? Really? A taxi head? Okay. <sighs> Poor Helen and Eleanor and whatever. This whole thing is just sad. Helen, their daughter, who was sometimes known as Mel, died in 1973. Having buried two husbands and her only two children, her first marriage was to Captain John Gilberson, and when he died, she married Sidney Russell Cook in 1922. The following year, she gave birth to twins Simon and Priscilla. She was a widow a second time in 
wife of Arctic explorer Captain Robertson, Falcon Scott. Also, we will talk about polio. That is a true creepy thing. And eventually we could talk about COVID if we want. I don't like COVID and my thoughts on COVID are just yuck. But polio was disgusting too, but at the same time, I didn't live through that. So it's a little different when you didn't live through it. It's history. Oh, great. COVID's going to be in the history books now. Great. That's just what I want to hear. Yeah, okay. Getting back to track, because I am not on track at all. Okay. Um, Captain. Robert Falcon Scott that stood right next to the model of Captain Edward John Smith. The two men had died in 1912 at the park peak of their chosen profession, but two weeks apart in freezing temperatures and far from home. Unfortunately, both figures were lost to a fire that blazed its way through the museum on March 18, 1925. It took an hour and a half to extinguish. No one died, and even the parrot was saved. Firemen were unsure whether the bird was real or wax, but once out in the fresh air, it soon revived and informed our workers that this was a rotten business. Olympic Mule was laid on December 16, 1908 in Shipyard number 400 her young sister would be constructed next door at 401 begun and completed before titanic olympic was temporarily the biggest and grandest ship in the world at 4 30 p.m which reminds me some people don't think it was the titanic that sunk they think it was the olympic I believe they said that's a conspiracy theory that people were talking about that I heard. I'm not saying it's true or not. I actually don't know the facts about this, but some say that I think it was JP Morgan himself sent his like partners on this boat and he wasn't on it, but he was supposed to be and it sunk and said and say he did it for insurance reasons. I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not. And if you want me to read the beginning of this book, uh, well, you know what, I will, I guess. I don't even, I thought I read this to you all, but I guess I'm losing my mind slowly but surely. At 4.30 on that day of Titanic's launch, May 31st, 1911, Olympic set sail for Liverpool under the command of Captain Edward John Smith with passengers including Jay Bruce Isney, chairman and managing director of White Star Line, and Thomas Andrews of Harlan and Wolfel, and also many of the crew who would later serve on Titanic. After Liverpool, she made her way to Southampton, from where she set out on June 14th on her maiden voyage to New York. The journey took five days, 16 hours and 42 minutes with an average speed of 21.7 knots. I don't know what that means. It's just what it says. I really don't know what that means. Someone tell me. I don't know what knots are and I really want to know. 
the two sisters side by side in a special construction Arroway Grant in the Harlan and Walsh shipyard, Belfast. When I understand their identical ship, a large crowd came out to welcome the biggest ship in the world to New York. There was a mere setback, however, minor setback, however, when the tugboat OL Helen Bash was dragged in by Olympus huge power whale and Constern needed repairs to its stern and rudder. On this occasion, there was no damage to Titanic's older sister. Okay, Olympic was the older one. Unlike a few months later, when leaving Southampton on her fifth voyage to New York, the Royal Navy cruiser HMS Hawk smashed into Olympic's starboard side, shattering its own board and almost capitalizing with the impact while leaving Olympic with two deep gashes above and below the waterline. The voyage was canceled, but there were no fatalities. Little did stewardess Violet Joseph and stalker Arthur John Prizer realize that they had personally embarked on the first of a trilogy of disaster considering the winter star sister ships. Above damage to the RMS Olympic left and HMS Hawk right followed their infamous 1911 collision. Aye, that just looks disastrous. Wow. This ship has like really big and the front is torn off and I'm guessing this is the Olympic because it looks like the Titanic. It's the side. The front of the sh other ship was hugely damaged and the Olympic doesn't look as bad but it's still not good. Like, not at all. Okay, here's my thing. For those of you who are thinking about going on the Titanic or Olympic, maybe don't. Like, I heard they're restoring it and they're gonna bring the Titanic back and I'm like, I'm not getting on that ship. If I ever decide to go on a ship, I don't think I would want to go on the one known for sinking. And the other one. Known for colliding into things. Like, no. Also, I wonder how many ships are in the water then. On a daily basis. Okay, things I'm gonna look up later. Okay. Um, White Star Sister Ship. Olympic was patched up to enable return to Belfast for a more thorough repair job that delayed Titanic's completion. Meanwhile, the crash proved costly to White Star Line as the insuring inquirer laid the blame entirely on Olympic with the Royal Navy claiming that she had pulled the hot guy into her. I. Following six weeks of repairs, Olympic was back at work by November 30th, 1911 until three months later on returning to Southampton from New York. She hit something in the ocean that cost her a blade from her power. Titania workers in Belfast repaired her once more, and this was the last time that the two sisters were together. When Captain Smith left Olympic for Titanic, he was replaced by the unfortunate name Captain Herbert James Hawdock. 
unfortunately named Captain Herbert Jim Haddock. I'm not sure why that would be that. So that's a thing that's happening now. For months later, Olympic's wireless operation, Esther James Moore, received a distress from the Titanic who was over 500 miles away. I think this is the ship that, like, heard the distress signal and ignored it. Which makes me so mad. Like, you couldn't have helped that? Like, really? You're telling me right now. You couldn't have helped that. Thanks. Okay. Who was over 500 miles away. Captain Hardock. Hardock. Is it Hardick? Is that what his name is? Haddock, Captain H-A-D-D-D-O-C-K. And I just call him Captain H because I don't know if I get his name. Had the engine set at full power and raced to her assistance. 400 miles later, he received a message from Arthur Robertson, the captain of the RMS. All boats accounted for about 675 souls saved. Titanic founded at 2.20 a.m. In other words, Olympic might as well turn back, but Captain H wanted to help in some way and offered to take the survivors back to England. Captain Robertsdorf Bladdett refused his offer out of consideration for the effect that Titanic's mind mirror image might have on her stressed and grieving survivors. There was nothing for it but to return to Southampton after sailing all entertainment to make the tragic loss of a life. However, Olympic had much to contribute in the aftermath of their sinking. She was used in both the British and American investigation and was examined to see how fast she could turn to determine at what point Titanic should have been able to avoid the iceberg. One inevitable result of the sinking was that an extra 44 lifeboats were added to the 20 on Olympic. Yeah, see, here's the thing. There wasn't enough lifeboats. Apparently, according to back then, there was enough for them to get off the ground and leave, but According to today, that standard would not hold out. So it's very confusing. Like, they had enough that they could get away with it, but they didn't have enough that would, like, encounter for today's time, I guess. I'm not 100% sure what you would call that. One involuntary result of the sinking of the Titanic was the extra four. Okay, that was the good news. The bad news was that the extra boats were secondhand collapsible boats, some of which were rotten and could not open. Then what is the point? Okay. <gasps> Excuse me. Understandably, the crew bulked at this and just before she set sail, a pen of April 1912, 284 firemen went on strike demanding that the 
copsicles be replaced by wooden boats despite the fact that they had been judged seaworthy by an inspector from the Board of Trade. Meanwhile, a hundred non-union members were brought on board to cover for the strikes. On April 25th, four collapsibles were tested in front of the strikers and only one was found to be unseaworthy. It was hoped that the firemen would be appeased by a fresh replacement but now they wanted the non-union workers removed from the Olympic when White Star Line rejected this. 40, 54 sailors disembarked, effectively throwing the sailing schedule into disarray. On shore, the sailors were arrested and charged with immunity. The judge found them guilty but declined to punish them, no doubt due to the recent tragedy. Fearing the public outcry, White Star Line allowed the men to rejoin Olympic. In October, their ship returned to Hardland and Woffle to be renovated according to the findings of the Titanic Inquirer. This time, without any worn collapsible lifeboats, the newly improved Olympic where Captain H was back in action in March 1913. More changes were to be required. The following year, with the outbreak of war, Olympic was painted gray and her portholes were covered up. Not surprisingly, the number of trans-action passengers dipped significantly with the threat of enemy Union boats making Olympic too expensive to run, and her final commercial voyage in October 1914 involved just 153 paying customers. Keeping a nervous eye out for submarines was not the only distraction. The sixth day into the journey, Olympic responded to a distress signal from British ship from British warship HMS Audacion, which had struck a mine of Troyan Island in the Atlantic, northwest of the Irish mainland. 253 crew were rescued by Olympic, while three failed attempts were made to tow a addition to safety before she finally sank. The commander of the home fleet, Admiral um, John Jolsey, ordered Olympic to be held in custody in long soleil as he did not want the British nation to know that one of their own warships was lost in case it damaged morale. Although the morale of Olympic passengers must have been challenged when they found themselves prevented from sending or receiving any messages or from embarking the ship. Until six days later on November 2nd when the ship finally sailed on to Belfast. Yeah, these ships just seem unlucky. Yeah, it's creepy. Okie dokie, artichokey, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. 
I hope y'all enjoy this podcast. Please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon. And with the ad coming up soon, I know y'all might want to skip it, but you should at least try to listen to some of it. Maybe it's important. I hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast. And I hope the ad and sponsor is a good one, Artichokey. Okay, dokie, artichokey. Ah, break it's now. Let's continue with our story. We have here, but it was His body was never recovered. His memory service was held in St. Mark's Church, Sultan Henley, on May 5th, 1912. Captain Smith was exonerated of all blame in the investigation into the sinking. Questions were raised as to whether all the warnings about icebergs that were received by Titanic on April 14th were passed on to the captain. The only person who would have known one way or another was wireless operator Jack Phillips, who did not survive the tragedy. Lord Misery, who led the British wreck commissioner inquired, submerged that Captain Smith had made a mistake in not reducting Titanic speed or posting extra log Okie artichoke, it's time for an ad break slash sponsor. So I hope y'all listen and keep on tuning in because we will continue this conversation after our ad slash sponsor. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast today. And the sponsor and ad will be right back. I hope y'all enjoy this podcast please stay tuned because the ad is coming up soon and with the ad coming up soon i know y'all might want to skip it but you should at least try to listen to some of it maybe it's important i hope y'all tune back in for more of this podcast and i hope the ad and sponsor is a good one artichokey okay dokie artichokey ad break it's now Okay, today we're going to talk about the Titanic. True stories of her passage, crew, and legacy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I found the Titanic a little creepy. Like, a little. Okay, author's notes. RMS, Titanic changed my life with the release of my children novel, Spirit of the Titanic. The tragedy is narrated by the spirit of the first victim associated with Titanic. A 15-year-old catch boy, our junior retriever, Samuel Joseph Scott, who was working on the building of the great ship in Harlan and Wolf Shipyard 
On April 20th, 1910, Samuel fell 20 feet to his death from a ladder propped against the side of the ship and had no idea that the research I had undertaken for the novel and the novel itself would result in my spending the next six years crisscrossing the island of Ireland, including a jump to the Irish College in Paris, talking to students of all ages, teachers, librarians, and parents about Titanic. I have been a span a banished by four-year-old determined to show me their Titanic portraits, while older and elderly Titanic enthusiasts have shared their own research and construction with me. Over the years, many theories have been explored as to the cause of the sinking, including that of a fire in the boiler room six. During my talk, I have been asked a lot of questions about the ship, so I have could answer, and some I could not. My publisher wanted an accessible, affordable history book, which presented me with a huge challenge as I shifted through the mountain of information available. Titanic and how it all began. Out on the sea in the early years of the 20th century, the Carter Lane held supreme with a much loved ship, Lusterine and Mantertanian, the biggest, fastest, and most lavishest built ships the world has ever seen. In 1907, the member of Immigrants traveling to a new life in America total a new high at 1.25 million. There is much money to be made and shift comparison to stir ambition even to begin. In 1907, Mr. Joseph Bruce Ismer, chairman of the Winter Star Mine, and his wife Florence were invited to dinner at Downshire House, the London home of Lord Pryor. Chairman of Belfast, Hardland, and Wolf Shipyard. We may assume that the praiseman of this dinner was to intent changes that would prefer beneficial to both companies. Bruce Ismail was also presented and managing director of IMF, International Marine Company, the American holding company that had brought the ship. White Star Line in 1902. The entertainment swag behind the Ayaman was undoubtedly John Pyrepoint, J.P. Morgan, the custodian powerhouse whose nose for profit had bought him to the water edge. As an American, he was not allowed to own British ships, but there was nothing to prevent him holding company for owning the company that owned the British ships. In typical fashion, Morgan wished to buy out and thus dominate the relatively new world of the transatlantic liner. Along with White Star Line, he had briefly attempted to buy the county line but was thought by the British government who feared an American monopoly of North Atlantic trade. Today, 24 Belgrave Square. The Greeky Rome style mansion formerly known as Downshire House and home to the Spanish ambassador. However, it is far more famous for that 1907 party dinner 
during which the two esteemed chairmen, Lord Pryor and Bruce Ismay Dermot of Titanic and her sister, the future of sea travel was in their hands, and what they would conceive was undoubtedly a fine testament to the mutually beneficial relationship between a British ship line and a fellfish shipbuilding company. Three years later, an article in the Belfast News later described the relationship as one of the most interesting chapters in the history of our ship's building industry. It was surely invaluable that Eisman, with IMM founding Empire, looked to brief and the answer was as obvious as it was simple. White Star Line needed new ships and these new ships needed to exceed the Carnar line in size, speed, and luxury. The two men went to work that very evening, making sketches and boasting names that announced the new type of ship on the horizon, a lipid, titanic, and gigantic. Of course, the consideration of that conversation would have been huge financial. J.P. Morgan had made his desire clear, telling Esma to build me the finest vessel afloat. And that is exactly what he got. Here's a little more information. The tragic story of R.M.S. Titanic and her ill-fated maiden voyage continues to enthrall over a century after her journey to the bottom of the sea. Only a hundred, only 750 passengers out of approximately 2,220 on board made it safely onto lifeboats. Filled with period photos, this fantastic book looks at Titanic and the people associated with her for how it all began. No picture of Titanic Grand Staircase exists. Picture inside the Grand Staircase of Titanic's sister, Olympic. Titanic was the biggest and most luxurious ship the world has ever seen. What happened on April 14, 1912, when Titanic hit an iceberg, is in many ways still unbelievable. Nicole Pierce has distilled her research into this moving, accessible history. I hope you like. You can check me out on Facebook, YouTube. TikTok. I also have another podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast. Bye for now. Over and out.